me start with a question for you. Um, does anybody recognize that? You know what that is? It's a, it's a line in the middle of the Peruvian desert. I know you knew that. Um, but for years, nobody, literally for centuries, nobody had any idea what they were. They thought they were ancient irrigation ditches. Until finally, uh, this century, somebody was able to see them from above, airborne. And they were able to see that it was part of a, just this massive, ancient artwork that had been done in the middle of the Peruvian desert. These things can actually be seen from outer space, they're so big. But from the ground, all you see is that. You can't tell, you have no idea what they are. But if you get above, you've got perspective and you can see the monkey, okay? So, so that's what we're about this morning. I'm going to back you up. I'm going to take you airborne, fly over the Old Testament one time, one more time, let you see the monkey, okay? We've been going week by week and I think some of you have lost perspective on what God's doing. It's easy to do. The Old Testament kind of goes here and there and back and forth. So we want to back up, kind of get airborne. We're going to go from Genesis to Malachi and just kind of a flyby one last time and get a chance to uh, get some perspective. So our, my goal this morning is really twofold for us. I want us to recapture a vision for what God's about in the Old Testament. We'd be able to say, oh, that's what God's doing there. That, that's what that's about. But secondly that we would remember what he has been saying to us personally as we've walked through the Old Testament together. Because we are renowned for our forgetfulness. As a people, um, especially a people living in affluent times, we are especially forgetful. It's been that way since the beginning. In Deuteronomy, God was concerned and he said in chapter 8, when you have eaten and are satisfied... Praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving to you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So I want you to see what God's doing again from a big picture perspective. But I'm just as concerned that you remember as we walk through these books again, what was God saying to you? What is he saying to you? So that we will not forget him. So if you'll bow with me in prayer, we'll take one more fly by the Old Testament together today. God, in your mercy, show us who you are once again. Show us what you're about. Um, in these times long ago and in our day, help us see. Especially, God, help us remember. We're so forgetful. Partly because of our rebellion, partly because of our busyness. Um, but we walk out of here and we forget. We forget you and we forget what you have said to us. So. God, jog our memories again in a way that's unforgettable. We ask you to do this for your name's sake. Amen. Okay, um, you are welcome to try to follow along today, but if it's distracting to you to do a Bible drill, 
throughout the whole Old Testament. I'll try to put the scriptures on the screen for you as we go. But just for memory's sake, some of you remember we've been talking about the Bible as an unfolding drama in six large acts. First was a creation. I gave you a key word to kind of hang them together and remember uh, the creation of the world. Key word was, this was tough, creation. Um, Then there was the uncreation, the fall, when it all came apart, when sin entered the world. And the key word for that, of course, is sin. Then the the third act was making ready for the king, the redeemer who would come. By the choosing of Israel, God's people. And the word to remember there is Israel. And that's the totality of the Old Testament. Now it goes on. Act 4 is the coming of the king and his kingdom. This takes us into the New Testament with Jesus. The spread of the good news, the church, and the return of the king at the end. But today we're going to go through those first three acts. Creation, fall, and the choosing of Israel. As we walk back through the Old Testament. And starting in that first act of the creation of everything, in the book of Genesis, it opens this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke into existence everything that is. He creates the heavens and the earth, the plants and the animals, man and woman. And behold, he says, it's good. And the man and the woman walk together in unspoiled fellowship with their maker. And it's very good. And at the end of the first act, this this curtain closes on a very, very good world. God saw that all all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and that was the sixth day. The creation of the world was completed. And so we worship that creator who created everything good you've ever experienced. That's our God. That's our creator. We get a glimpse of him in those those early chapters of Genesis. But in the second act, the fall, sin enters the picture. It's, It's totally unexpected. You're reading the story, and all of a sudden, following the beauty and peace of the first act, the second act quickly turns to a tragedy because Satan comes to the woman. He deceives her and her husband. And just that quickly, everything they've enjoyed is spoiled. Where they had once walked with God, now they hide from Him. They're banished from His presence. It says in uh, chapter 3 that the Lord God banished Adam from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed in the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And And mankind is physically and relationally separated from God as the great tragedy of sin unfolds. But it doesn't just affect the relationship with God. It affects all other relationships too. Um, The woman and the man now blame and accuse. Their sin stains their children. Cain murders his brother Abel and all the sons of men. All the sons of men turn away from God such that the Lord says he's grieved that he made man on earth and his heart is filled with pain. And the Lord said, I'll wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. I'm grieved that I have made them. And God does what he said he would do by a great flood. And he wipes mankind from the earth except for Noah and his families whom he spares, but even they fall back into sin 
and rebellion um, at the close of the book of Genesis. Sin has ravaged everything. It's tainted everything in creation. And when we embrace sin, it's like we are dipping our hand into that same jar and pulling out the same thing that has caused every ounce of suffering and sickness, every war that's ever happened, comes from that jar that we are dipping into when we dip into sin. One of my favorite illustrations that helps us think about what we're getting when we really take part in, in temptation um, comes from a radio report um, about a middle school in Oregon that faced a unique problem. A number of the middle school girls had begun using lipstick and they would go into the bathroom to put it on. And then after they'd put it on, they would kiss the bathroom mirror and leave little lip prints all over the bathroom mirror. Of course, this drove the custodian nuts. He goes back, he talks to the principal about it, and the principal decides they have to deal with this because it's happening every day. Little lip prints all over the bathroom mirror. So she calls this band of girls, lipstick-wearing girls, into the bathroom, and she says, you see all these lip prints? She said, this is a problem, makes life really hard for the custodian. And she said, now, I want you to show you the hard work the custodian has to do to clean this off. So he took a long-handled brush and he dipped it in the toilet and then he cleaned off the mirror. Yeah. Since then, there have been no lip prints on the mirror. Um, you know, that in that moment, they were able to see beyond the fun and beyond the pleasure to see what they were really kissing. What are you kissing? You're messing around with stuff that if you could really see what it was, you'd run the other way. Friends, every time you reach in that jar, you're reaching in the jar that's caused every ounce of suffering and sorrow and disappointment and hatred and war and sickness that is in our world. And Act 2 of the Bible shows us that vividly. And that's why the prophets call us in God's kindness to repent from our sins. You know, sometimes we think that it's not, what we dabble in is not a big deal. For instance, anger is really not a big deal. I lose my temper sometimes with my kids or with my spouse, it's not really a big deal. Well, you look in the New Testament and it says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. And when you allow anger into your relationships in your home, you are giving Satan access to your home. Our sin is worse than we think it is. That's one of the great lessons from the tragedy of Act 2 in the Bible. But there's a third act, and that is um, getting ready for the king, the choosing of Israel as God's chosen people. Um, you know, this tragedy in Act 2 did not take God by surprise. We pick up on it right away. Just as soon as Adam and Eve take the bait from Satan, God says these words. He says to the serpent first, because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock, all the wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly. You'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Some of her offspring will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And most theologians believe that that is an anticipation 
of the one who would come in the New Testament and destroy Satan on the cross and in his resurrection. That right from the beginning, God launched a plan that there would be a redeemer who would come for all of his people. That theme folds in and out throughout the books of the Old Testament. There's coming a king, a deliverer, a messiah, a redeemer. Alongside it is a second theme that portrays the breadth of the grace of God for all peoples. In Genesis chapter 12, the Lord says to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Go to the land I'll show you, and I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, God chose this group of people, this one nation, through Abraham, Israel, so that all peoples, all nations would be blessed and come to know the Lord as their God. These two themes, there is coming a king, a redeemer, and he is for all peoples. It's woven throughout. These two are woven tightly throughout the whole of the Old Testament. They reveal to us this kind of message, that the Bible tells a story of the loving and awesome words and deeds of God to redeem all of his creation, especially his wayward and sinful people from amongst all peoples for his namesake. God is on this redemptive mission to redeem from amongst all peoples, people for his very own, who will honor his name and worship him. And we see these messages throughout. At the end of the book of Genesis, God's people are taken as slaves into Egypt and labor there until God delivers them through that extraordinary set of plagues that come upon the Egyptians. And the last of those involves an incident called the Passover. In Exodus chapter 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household, and they're to take some of the blood from that lamb, put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And on that same night, I will pass through Egypt, strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood however, will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is called the Passover. And God's people celebrated this in the Passover feast throughout the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it's said in 1 Corinthians that Christ has come as our Passover. This is pointing us to Christ. This is that theme. There's coming someone who will deliver us from our sin. And that one is Jesus, our Passover lamb. You know, the story continues to unfold. God continues to teach and guide his people. The book of Exodus, again, brings great instruction to God's people, how they're supposed to live in communion with a holy God in a way that shows him to a watching world. And one of those things they're supposed to do involves these two goats. Do you remember that 
illustration or that offering they're supposed to make? They're supposed to, the priest will slaughter one goat for the sin offering for the people, take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He'll sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. When Aaron's finished making that atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting in the altar, he's going to bring forward that second goat, a live goat. We call it a scapegoat. And he's to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, put them on the goat's head, and he'll send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. <clears throat> and again, there's that theme. There's coming one who will be both our sacrifice and our sin bearer. These goats point towards a coming redeemer. They point God's people, even through the shape of their offerings, towards Christ, towards Jesus. In the book of Numbers, they're pointed the same way. God's people are wandering around the desert in disobedience. They're forever getting in trouble, and God has to rescue them in an extraordinary way in chapter 21 of the book of Numbers. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way, and they grumbled. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food, the special provision of God for them, and the manna. They detested it, they said. So the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people... And God gave him some unusual instructions. He said, make a snake. Put it on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at the pole and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it on a pole. Anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at that bronze snake, they lived. Now what is that about? Why did God have them do that? Well, we learn why when we look at the New Testament and Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up that snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on a cross that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. And then the most familiar verse in the Bible probably takes us back to that incident in the desert in the book of Numbers. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Christ is the one lifted up for us. If we will look in faith upon Him, we will, we will live. We'll be saved from the consequences of our sins. So throughout the scriptures, these themes are just being woven back and forth. There's coming a Redeemer, and He's for you. He's for all people. The book of Joshua and Judges, God's people are getting ready to enter the promised land. They're right right there on the edge, and they cross the Jordan River, and it's kind of like a little mini parting of the Red Sea. That Jordan River's dammed up, and they walk through on dry ground. And in the book of Joshua, chapter 4, we find out why God did that. The Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you, before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he did done, had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we crossed over. He did this so that the hand of the Lord, so that all peoples, excuse me, of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Okay, there's that theme again. So that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your 
God. God in his mercy is sending messages out to all people by the way he deals with his people. That there is one true God. And he is sending a redeemer to rescue them from their sin. But as things roll along, the people are discontent with the leadership God provides them. He provides them great judges, men like Gideon and Samson, Eli and Samuel. But they say, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. They said to Samuel, you're old Samuel. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you that they've rejected. They have rejected me as their king. And that, of course, leads to the, to the rule of Saul, the first king, and then King David, the great king, the faithful king, whose life points to an even greater king who will reign and rule forever. Um, Second Samuel says, When your days are over, David, and you rest with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I'll establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There's coming a king who will reign forever. I'll be his father. He'll be my son, the son of God. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God is raising up a people and a deliverer for those people, for all peoples. Solomon was David's son, and he did build that temple that God predicted that he would. And in the prayer of dedication, this is what he prayed. He said, God, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel and may know that this house I built bears your name. All peoples, God says. He wants all peoples to know. Now shortly after this time, a tragedy happens and there's the equivalent of a church split amongst God's people, right? Israel goes to the north, Judah to the south, and... They are divided. They actually become enemies um, concerning each other. That's about the year 930 or so B.C. And the books of Kings and Chronicles, they tell the stories of those divided peoples and of the kings who led them. But the kings led them badly, oftentimes, such that God's people were taken into captivity. And while in captivity, we read often the Psalms of the cries of God's people and the worship of God's people. And again, these two themes, they're weaving back and forth. We find them even single psalms have these two great themes. Listen for them in Psalm 22. Listen for a look towards Christ and a look towards the nations. Listen to the language. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Christ quoted this psalm on the cross. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. They say he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. 
All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over all the nations. Again, those themes. God is sending a deliverer who will suffer for the sins of others, of the nations. Books like Proverbs bring God's people guidance on how to live a life before a watching world such that they're recognized as God's people. But God has not given up on them. He sends wisdom. He sends his prophets, men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They bring messages of hope to God's people when they get off track and they say, walk in God's ways again. Listen to an example from Jeremiah. Again and again, I sent all my servants and prophets to you, and they said, each of you must turn from your wicked ways and reform your actions. That's the call of the prophets. Turn from your wicked ways, reform your actions. Do not follow other gods to serve them. Then you'll live in the land I've given to you and your fathers. But you have not paid attention or listened to me. That's the great tragedy. God's people get off track he sends the prophets to restore them to God's ways and to his mission, and they refuse to listen. This is a human, common malady we have. Turning from our old ways is hard. They did a study just a couple years ago of a number of people who would have heart bypasses. There are 600,000 people in America that have heart bypasses every year. And these people are all told after their bypasses that they have to change their lifestyle. The heart bypass is a temporary fix. They have to change their diet. They have to quit smoking and drinking. They have to exercise. They have to reduce stress. In other words, their doctors sit down to them and say, change your lifestyle or die. Okay? It's a subtle message. You think it would get across, but this study showed that 10% of the people changed. 90% of heart bypass patients do not change their lifestyle. See, that's exactly what the prophets are receiving. Jeremiah comes and he says, each of you must turn from your wicked ways and reform your actions, but you have not paid attention or listened to me. Friends, God is saying to you today, as he has been in recent weeks, about your sin, change or die. It's that serious. Listen, listen to the prophet Ezekiel. He says, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. What has God been saying to you in recent weeks as we've heard the prophets, we've heard their call about your sin? It's the grace of God coming to us. Remember what God has been saying to you. God is faithful to his wayward people because he's faithful to his word. And so he does make a way for his people to Return from captivity 
back into the promised land. And you remember in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra and the like, they start rebuilding that city, Jerusalem. And they rebuild that temple for the worship, the restoration of the worship of God amongst his people. But God's people are few, they're a remnant, and their enemies are many. And the third act closes out the Old Testament with the words of the prophets ringing in their ears as they look for a coming king who will bear their sins and free them from their sins. Zechariah says it this way, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, God says, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. And the prophets hold out the hope, and God's people hold on to that hope for 400 years that there is coming a deliverer who will bear their sins on their behalf. So today we want to remember that great hope which for us has been fulfilled in the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ, our Savior. We want to remember what God has been doing in history and in our lives. We don't want to forget Him. King says, don't forget the covenant I have made with you and do not worship other gods. Rather, worship the Lord your God. It's He who will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. And the psalmist says, look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he's done, his miracles, the judgments he passed. Don't forget God. Don't forget what he's been saying to you. Don't forget what he's done on your behalf. So we want to close our time today with a chance for you to remember. Just to bow and remember what has God been calling you to be and do to embrace and turn away from in these recent days as we've studied through the Old Testament together. And if as part of that time of reflection, if you want to nail one of those actions shut that you've forgotten, if you want to come forward for prayer, we'd encourage that as the worship team comes. But right now, I'd just like you to bow where you are and listen as the scriptures remind us what God has been saying to us as a people in recent days. Would you bow with me? The book of Genesis reminds us that God is good even in the hardest of times. Joseph tells his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. This morning, are you willing to trust God to bring good out of your hardship? to be redeeming your greatest suffering for a greater good. The book of Deuteronomy urges us, says these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord, the Lord your God, as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, O Israel, be careful to obey 
so that it may go well with you and that you may increase in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Are you being careful to obey what God has been saying to you through his word, what he's been prompting you by his spirit that he wants you to do or that he wants you not to do? Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, Jeremiah says. His upper rooms by injustice, making his countrymen work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says, I'll build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows in it and panels it with cedar and decorates it in red. God says, does it make you a king to have more and more cedar Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Have you followed through on what God has said to you about caring about the poor and caring less about your stuff? Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, writes Jeremiah. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Are you hoping in Him? Are you waiting for Him? Are you seeking Him? Haggai says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, these people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while my house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes on it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. This morning as God has been speaking to you, I want to encourage you to draw a line in the sand, to drive a stake in your heart, to remember and not forget what God has been saying to you. And as we declare our delight in his great loving sacrifice of his son on our behalf, I encourage you to come and pray and commit to the Lord to remember and not forget, to obey, to love and be faithful as he has called you to. Let's stand. Let's worship our king together.